a co-presentation of WNYC Studios and Night Vale Presents. You are listening to the Orbiting Human Circus of the Air. Here lies Julian, janitor at the Eiffel Tower, who opens his eyes. Come on, boy, you can do it. Who opens his eyes. He won't wake up. It's Letitia, chief stagehand of the orbiting human circus of the air. Please help. Surprise you do dead. I told them I was your sister. I called, you know, before on uh, the telephone, but no, they tell me nothing, so I come. Oh, he's always like this. That's why I hate hospital. Letitia sits nervously by the janitor's bedside. She opens her mouth to speak, but hesitates. The show is closing. Letitia takes out the cigarette a doctor had lent her in the hall. It is Paris, after all walks to the far side of the room and getting as far away from the janitor as she can, lights up. The polar bear here, he escapes the tower, he runs loose in Paris, he is going to the oyster bars and uh, along the Seine, anyway, the details don't matter, but... Uh... Yes, things are not going well with the show. In fact, tonight's acts are all ones John Cameron had previously rejected. It seems he can get neither acts nor an audience to come. You know, I had a dream that this would happen. I had a dream that uh, the show closed, and I had a dream that uh, you died. It was the same dream, in fact. And uh, now the show is closing, and you are... Uh, you are... Uh... Letitia extinguishes her cigarette and crosses to the janitor, and placing her head on his shoulder, takes him by the hand. I need you not to die. But the janitor does not hear the sound of Letitia's voice. The janitor does not know she's there. He hears nothing. And most disturbing is the fact that the noise in his left ear, there for half his life, has gone quiet. A hiss left behind by his stepfather's fist that was so reminiscent of the sound of a large audience it made it easy to imagine one with him cheering for him always and now this has left him too letitia finding the janitor's hand lifeless and cold drops it suddenly and turns colliding with a bedside table causing a small radio to fall to the floor as she runs out of the room on impact the radio turns on you are listening to the perpetual broadcasting corporation and now, a spot announcement. 
Thank you, Spot. In the deep sea of sleep, the radio reaches Julian. Like a light from above, he finds himself lifted closer and closer to the waking world and becomes suddenly aware that Coco, night watchman at the Eiffel Tower, is there with him. Coco, can you hear me? Coco? But the janitor's words remain beneath the surface of sleep and the old man cannot hear him. Coco! It reminds the janitor of the feeling when he was little of trying to sing or speak underwater. It's a feeling he often has. Coco, why is it so hard to say the things that you really want to say to a person until it's too late? Coco wonders if he might have heard something. It's probably the radio. He just noticed it had fallen to the floor. He bends down to pick it up and accidentally brushes the dial with his sleeve. The janitor hears this. Because from the radio comes the sound that makes him happier than no other sound in the world. Broadcasting from the top of the Eiffel Tower, the orbiting human circus of the air. We start things off with the orchestral's version of Cole Porter's I'll Do Anything for Love But I Won't Do That, featuring the Mime Choir of Marais. As the robed choir of mimes open and close their mouths noiselessly, and the little orchestral plays its heart out, backstage we find Letitia with her stagehands Jacques and Pierre, obscured in the shadow of a 12-foot bowling pin. They had to give away free tickets to get people to come. Seriously, what the hell are we going to do? Dispiritedly, Pierre leans back on the bowling pin. Pierre! Then, Damadel, you don't lean on the bowling pin. It is made to fall over. Calm down, Letitia. Look, look, here. I'm stepping away from it. It's okay. Host John Cameron comes rushing in. My jacket. Does anyone see where I put my jacket down? You're wearing it. I'm wearing it. Host John Cameron goes rushing out. That was the mime choir of the Marais. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't honestly think of a more beautiful way to begin our final evening than this very special demonstration you're about to hear. By remote hookup, I give you Professor Edelweiss Fleur, broadcasting live from a ship where the sun meets the sea. Uh, I, I cannot hear clearly. There, there is a, there's a noise. That's our audience applauding you, Professor. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, when, as children, we experiment with singing underwater, uh, other children cannot hear us. But, but the whales can. Uh, blessed with extraordinary hearing, the whale can hear children singing at distances of up to 10 nautical miles, and in many cases, answer, unbeknownst to us, with songs of their own. We will now demonstrate that whales, whose migration brings them closest to beaches frequented by children, begin to adopt tonal patterns found in human songs. Is this true? Yes. A migration of whales will pass momentarily. The sounds of these whales will travel back to the broadcast ballroom, where the orchestral stands ready to accompany any melodic pattern should one emerge. The orchestral stands prepared. And, and, and here they are. 
Meanwhile, in the janitor's hospital room, the janitor cannot contain himself. Coco. He knows this song. Coco, this is what this is what I wanted to tell you about. I ran away to my great grandfather's as a kid. He used to sing it. It went. Strangely, at that exact moment, back at the broadcast ballroom, John Cameron becomes convinced that he hears someone singing along, a voice echoey and distant. My God, it can't be, but it is. He's okay? John Cameron's sure it's coming from the heating duct. He's in the vent. Julian. John Cameron rushes to the back of the stage, pulling the curtain aside to see the duct, and there he finds... only wind. The janitor's hospital room. Evening shadows cover the janitor's bed. With the janitor still unable to speak, it was time for the night watchman to report for work. Coco has left, but the janitor continues trying to speak, um, even though there is no one to hear. That song was playing the first night that I ever went to my great-grandfather's house, and I ran away when I was a kid. There was a dinner party, and I, I was hiding behind the couch. Um, everybody was at the table, and I, I wanted to speak, but I couldn't. I was afraid, and every, everybody was so loud, and, and, and they were all laughing and stuff. And I was watching my great-grandfather from behind the couch, and I noticed that my great-grandfather didn't have a shadow. He didn't. Everything in the room had a shadow, but he didn't have a shadow. And when I looked back, he had one. And it was a swan. His shadow was shaped like a swan. And I looked up at him, and then I looked back down at his shadow, and it was gone. When I looked back again, his shadow was a train. He, he was moving things around on the table. He was talking to everybody about all this grown-up stuff. And all the while, he was shifting things around, like the salad bowl and wine bottle and, and the glasses and, 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 and his chair. And, and, and nobody knew that he was doing it. Nobody was paying attention, and, and and he was leaning back in a spot where there wasn't, where the chair was hiding his shadow. And and then when he was done, he would lean forward, and he would lean into it, and it would make a picture. And he was doing it just for me. be part of something that existed just to make someone smile and I crawled out from behind the couch I crawled right in the center of his shadow and I fell asleep
and in the broadcast ballroom a huge shadow spreads across the stage as the spotlight strikes John Cameron. The whales, ladies and gentlemen. The orchestral. And now, behold, our stage transformed. A bowling alley of gigantic proportions. Two lanes, two sets of 12-foot pins, and two cannons. This can only mean one thing, ladies and gentlemen. The world's two greatest aerialist oddities have challenged each other to a mammalian cannonball bowling contest. Ladies and gentlemen, Ernest the Equestrian Cannonball and Martha the Bovine Cannoness. The horse aims its cannon, lights its fuse, and climbs inside. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the cow! The cow aims her cannon, lights her fuse, and climbs inside. But John's thoughts are elsewhere. I want to die. And it's a split, ladies and gentlemen. And now our crew is hustling to reset the pins, ladies and gentlemen, as the horse lights his fuse, climbs inside. It's all over. Could have had a beach house. And now it's Martha cannon fuse burning down. There she goes. I'll be homeless. And it's a double, ladies and gentlemen. Martha in the lead. Oh, I'm hearing it now. That singing sounds like a ghost. And the horse sailing through the air. And he does it, ladies and gentlemen. A pure turkey from the horse. Turkey horse. I'm feeling like a proud Thanksgiving turkey right now with a horse. If the janitor dies. The janitor's hospital room. A presence as natural to the world as night itself begins to engulf all around him. The janitor can feel that there is something there. And whatever that thing is, it's come for him. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how to say goodbye. So it must be with our show. We don't want things to end, but they do. And how easy it is to love that which we know will not come back. And here's an act, ladies and gentlemen, that certainly will not. For our final feature presentation, the riveting memoir of one of our most beloved regular performers, you've all enjoyed his work, will now learn his extraordinary story. It's Yermak, the pie-eating Cossack. Hello, I am Yermak, Yermak the pie-eating Cossack. It is we Cossacks who eat pie like no others, we who travel the barren, lifeless steppes longing for the maternal sweetness of raspberry, blueberry, pineapple, gooseberry, legonberry, banana cream, Key lime. Also, there is savory pies. Backstage at the broadcast ballroom, huddled in consoling embrace are Letitia and John Cameron. Beside them, Jacques tries to hide the fact that he is crying while Pierre offers him his handkerchief. And as Yermak talks and talks, 
As slow as his story is, it is not slow enough for the amassed crowd backstage, for with each word he seems to count down the remaining minutes left in the life of the show. This place is drafty. Earlier the wind sound was so loud I thought someone was singing. You heard it too. And in the howling wind, John Cameron can almost hear the janitor's voice now. He's haunting us. But what's this? In the distance, a ghostly form that... that is very much like that of the janitor. And trailing behind it is something that cannot clearly be seen. As it approaches, an unearthly breathing can be heard whistling through the halls. What is that? Can it be the janitor's ghost, pursued by death itself, come to devour the entire broadcast ballroom and everyone in it? Unafraid of anything, even Letitia takes a step back. This cannot be. John Cameron stands frozen like a deer in the headlights, and Jacques rises to his full height, his heart pounding. But this is just like my dream. I have been the confession in 14 years. It's drawing nearer now. I'm ready. Please. I'm not ready. In the darkness, one can begin to make out the janitor in a hospital gown with a zombie-like look on his bloodless face. The janitor and that which follows him finally reach the light. My God. It's the great recitating platypus of the North. John. Leticia, you're alive. Julia! I woke up, and he was there. I asked him to fix all the things I've ruined. Jock steps forward. Mr. Platypus, oh my God. Thank you for saving my mother when I was little. She she said you came to her, and, and when I was eight, I stopped believing in you, and I... John Cameron steps between Jock and the platypus. Mr. Platypus, I know you only cure sick and infirm people, but we are show people. And in making this statement, John Cameron puts his hand on the janitor's shoulder to include him in it. And our show is dying. I, I don't know why you came here, but Mr. Platypus, if you were to go on the air, you would save our show. Please. The giant platypus slowly bends forward and places its flipper on John Cameron's shoulder. John Cameron tears himself away and runs to the stage. Ladies and gentlemen, we have something for you now that has changed everything. I give you no less than the greatest broadcast event in the history of this medium. A being who up till now has only appeared in dreams and stories that we were told as children here, right now, waiting. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the great recitating platypus of the North. The platypus walks on the stage. The platypus opens its mouth and is about to speak. Oh no! Julia! Julia! You are daydreaming again! The entire ballroom disappears. I do not pay you to tell stories to the night watchmen. I do not pay you to collect fleas and mice. You are not an exterminator. I do not pay you to take the saws from the tool shed. God knows where. You are not a carpenter. You are a janitor. And I do not pay you to daydream. Did you get rid of the bird you are keeping in the janitor's closet like I told you? No, Mr. Shumar. No. Did you mop the upper decks? No. No. 
Did I not tell you last night? Did I not throw the bucket at you? Yes, Mr. Chenard. I tried to get you to remember. I tried to get you to listen. I don't want to fire you, but if you don't get your work done, I have to. We open in two hours. We'll get going. His boss has left him. The janitor places down his bucket and rag. He's too tired now to dream of a ballroom at the top of the Eiffel Tower. He walks dejectedly back toward the closet where he lives. He climbs into his cot and curls into a ball. And outside it begins raining. Perhaps the tower will get clean after all. The janitor falls asleep. It is now hours later, and the janitor is awakened by the sound of his boss knocking on the door. Julien? Julien, I feel a little strange talking to a door. I don't know if the pocket hit you in the head. I don't know if you can hear me, but if you can, oh, Julien, if you can hear me right now, please know that I am sorry. But in his closet, the janitor does not reply, as he is somewhere in the space between wakefulness and sleep, and like millions of French children before him, the janitor's eyes settle on something in the dark of his room, and he sees there standing the great recitating platypus of the North. Now this is no miracle. We do not ask you to believe it so. It is, of course, a mirage which in a second fades like the dream that it is. But the janitor sits up, because when you see the platypus in the morning, there is something you must do. Uh, if you can hear me, Please, uh, say hello. Mr. Chenard listens for a reply, but there comes no answer. The janitor is making a wish. The janitor had dreamed of an audience who had followed him all his life and made him feel like he was not alone. This is his wish, and because he believes that if you see the platypus and you make a wish, it will come true, his heart nearly stops. He can feel that you are listening. And he believes that you are real. He closes his eyes. Suddenly there is a wooden stage beneath him. Around him, a grand ballroom with a red velvet curtain, and next to him is John Cameron, Letitia, Jacques, Francois, Pierre. Julian, why did you sing something? 
John Cameron nudges the janitor up to the microphone. Go ahead. The orchestral stands waiting. Come on, sing. And the janitor leans forward and he takes in a deep breath because now he has someone to sing for.
Thank you. The Orbiting Human Circus of the Air is a co-presentation of WNYC Studios and Night Vale Presents. Episode 8 featured Drew Callender, John Cameron Mitchell, Susanna Flood, Dan Solomon, Cecil Baldwin, Julian Coster, Shannon Conley, and Chris Ferry. The Orbiting Human Circus is written, created, and co-directed by Julian Coster. It was co-directed by and developed with Ellie Heyman and produced by Christy Gressman, with musical composition and arrangement by Thomas Hughes and songs by The Music Tapes, and editing by Grant Stewart, sound design by Eric Slater, recording engineer Vincent Cascione, and associate producer Robbie Cucciaro. The songs from this season are available on the Orbiting Human Circus EP by The Music Tapes on Merge Records. For full credits and to learn more about the Orbiting Human Circus, come visit us at orbitinghumancircus.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.